Uh, welcome back to the Wheelhouse Podcast. It has been far too long. Aaron Goldsmith, Jerry DePoto, Mariners General Manager, Gary Hill with us as always also. Jerry, we are in a ballpark. We are looking at guys doing some work out on the field. The sun is shining. Man, things feel pretty normal right now. They really do. I, and, and I will say that, that with the exception of watching the games with no fans in the park, which is really such an unusual feeling, it, is, it really is a healthy feeling to be watching baseball games after so long of uh, just sitting inside and teams calls and just to be out watching players run around and, and playing competitive games has been such a, a needed relief. Absolutely. Uh, Gary, you've done a fantastic job socially distancing us during this podcast. Yeah, yeah. we're as socially distanced as possible, yes. <laughs> we cannot see each other. <laughs> which is, I think, which is pleasant for all of us, yeah, even in the worst good. of times. No one should have to see me, so this works out perfectly for everyone. We are uh, in three separate booths here at T-Mobile Park as uh, we are recording this uh, on Monday afternoon in advance of Game 4 against the Oakland Athletics. Jerry, You've had, uh, at this point, let's see, 10 games? Does that sound right? Uh, yes, 10 games to take a look at your ball club in 2020. Uh, first of all, uh, we got a, we got a lot to talk about in terms of some individual performances for your team so far this season, like some real breakout guys, and Kyle Lewis and J.P. Crawford has been fantastic. The rotation has been great the second turnaround. We want to talk about what's going on in Tacoma with uh, the rest of the 60-man squad. We're going to have Stump JD, as always, some fan questions to get to. But, Jerry, I'm curious, uh, 10 games into the season, what are your just general overall impressions of your ball club? Well, it, while it might come as a surprise because we're 4-6 and six through 10, we think it couldn't be going much better. Uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of really positive things. The development of our young players is ongoing, and it has been refreshing to watch some of them break out early and some others take their lumps and learn and and here recently make their short-term adjustments and now it's it's really everything that we were hoping the season would be about and now I, I I wish we were six and four rather than four and six but we've played some of the most talented teams in the American League and with the exception of a couple of lopsided losses in in Houston we've been in every single game we've played and and we've seen so many positive things, especially the last four or five. Probably the biggest storyline for the Mariners right now has been your center fielder, Kyle Lewis. We saw what he did last year when he got his call up from double-A to finish the season in September. It's so hard to judge players at the start of the season, at the end of the season. He goes through this very odd offseason. He comes to summer camp looking like a million bucks, hitting – Balls 100 miles an hour off the bat into seats, and he's carried that over uh, to a tee to the regular season. What is it that you're seeing as you're watching Kyle Lewis each and every night? If I had to pick a word, I would say confidence is what we're seeing. And, and he looks phenomenal. I, I, I think in addition to being you know the biggest story around the Mariners right now, he's, he's one of the big stories in Major League Baseball. Um, has kind of risen to the, the, the top of this year's rookie pool, and, and people are watching. The, the first 120 plate appearances of his career, which is right about where we are, are pretty phenomenal. I mean, he's, he's hitting 324. He's got an OPS that it's approaching 1,000. He's, he's hit nine home runs in, in his first 119 plate appearances, and you know, which puts him on a pace that's just ahead of uh, some of the great players of the last 50 years. And, and it's, it's been a phenomenal start. And he's doing it all while learning. You know, I, I think this year we're seeing his, his walk rate, his pitch selection is climbing. 
Uh, we've talked about the fact that you're always going to get strikeouts with Kyle. That's that's going to be part of his package, and and we're not afraid of the fact that he's going to strike out because I imagine he's going to reduce that to a more tolerable number to- tolerable number as we go. And and you know he's playing great defense in center field, which is a, a, a really refreshing thing to see after you know the the knee injury and coming back and being exposed to all three of the outfield spots and and our belief that he could play center but now we're seeing it night after night and and that's really exciting as well it's it's been across the board there's nothing that's happening with with Kyle Lewis that's not exciting and I think it all boils down to confidence he's confident in himself he's confident that he belongs at this level he's confident in his health and you can see it every day when he walks out there there's a different way that he's carrying himself and it was really noticeable probably not as much down in Peoria but once we came back to Seattle for summer camp, he walked through that door, and it was like a different guy. And, and we've, we've been riding him. You know, you mentioned him being one of the great stories in baseball, and I absolutely agree with that. From the outside, and, and fans sometimes see this as well, with injuries we see timetables, right? We see you know, a guy's going to be out two weeks or, or two months, or in Kyle's case, longer than that. What we never get to see is – all the work that goes into coming back, uh, which can be a very lonely time and a lot of hard work. And Kyle has certainly put all that work in and to see him flying around center field and everything else. It's got to be very gratifying to see for him personally it paying off. It should because I and I know we've talked about it on the podcast before, but, you know, he worked his tail off for years, not months, years to, to get to the point where where he can go out there confidently. I, I, the excitement that I felt this year when I watch him make a diving play in the outfield, when I see him aggressively slide into a base, because for years we, we didn't see that. And and now we see it. And, you know, he knows that he's good and that his knees are good and that and that he can play at this level. And now we're seeing a player who was not too long ago the the, the college player of the year, the Golden Spikes Award winner in, in college baseball and Baseball America's college player of the year, who many thought would be the first pick in the draft. So this the talent has always been there to do the things that we're seeing now. And we expressed it through, you know, through the lens of data. We expressed it a lot, you know, last year while he was in Little Rock out in Arkansas that a lot of our underlying data, whether it was exit velocities or, or overall you know, judgment in the strike zone, pitch selection, he was doing a lot of awesome things that weren't showing up on a, on a standard stat sheet. And, and I think oftentimes it gets, I guess, shuffled to the side, oh, DePoto's selling. <laughs> it's, it's real. And, and we were seeing these things despite the fact that it wasn't showing up on a, on a natural stat sheet. You bring up those kind of underlying numbers. Is that, and we've referenced this probably a while back on the podcast, and we talked to your associate, uh, Justin Hollander, the other day. Process report, is that what we're talking about here? I know metrics that are kept on minor league guys. Yeah, we have, you know, we have a player plan that we put in place, and then each player has a has a, a, a data sheet that, that they'll, they get on a regular basis and, and gives them a lot of feedback on what they're doing and, and the positives and the negatives, areas where we can get better and, and areas that they're really thriving. And, you know, those are things that we produce on a nightly basis, and then we put together a month-by-month update. And, you know, and, and throughout, these are areas where, where Kyle has really been thriving for most of the last, you know, year and a half, uh, uh, minus the quarantine. And, and now we're seeing it really 
manifest itself in on-field performance in a different way than it has since 2016. I'd have to imagine, Jerry, Gary and I were talking about this the other day, just how hard it is to judge players the first week or two or maybe even three weeks into a season because the numbers are just so, I don't want to say irrelevant, but they're, they're so hard to judge off of numbers because of at-bats and plate appearances and limited sample sizes. I mean, when it comes down to it, and we're talking about this with Kyle Lewis and what he did in Arkansas and how it's translated here, but for any player at this level early in the season, does it come down to just simply two things, your swing decisions and your quality of contact? I mean, are those the two biggest things that Mariners – coaches and scout service are using to assess hitters right now? Yes, and, and I would say that is true throughout our system. You know, up and down our system, you know, those are the two uh, markers that, that matter most. And, you know, in addition to the obvious, which is work ethic, the players make up, the, the, the game feel, and but the, those two things. It, it's, if you are making good decisions, swinging at the right pitch, and hitting the ball hard, everything else takes care of itself. You know, the other guy that has been right atop the fold for the Mariners through 10 games has been a guy that you traded for, and that's J.P. Crawford. Uh, he has found this incredible knack of getting on base twice a night. <laughs> <laughs> I like that knack. <laughs> uh, you know, Scott moved into the top of the order uh, a few days into the season, and uh, J.P. hasn't looked back. And when I've talked to Scott about this, it's funny, Jerry, he – is very appreciative of what JP is doing offensively, but he quickly uh, turns the conversation and pivots to what JP is doing defensively at shortstop. What is it that has stood out to you the most when watching JP Crawford early this season? Uh, I will pivot in a different direction and say his base running. <laughs> He's done everything, and uh, I do agree that the defense has been a standout. And you know, we always knew that JP had the tool set to be an above-average defender in the major leagues at shortstop. And sometimes it didn't look that way when he was coming up with the Phillies at the big league level. You know, he had to corral uh, a bit of a, a sloppy throwing history, and and he did it. You know, credit to Perry Hill. Bone worked a ton uh, with JP, but credit most of all to JP for, you know, he's a, an extremely talented guy who really does work hard. And he came over here and adapted to everything that we asked him to do. You know, either our coaching staff or our high performance group. We asked him to, to put on some weight. We, we had a plan in place to help him get stronger, to, to endure the long season. Uh, I know Bone, like I said, worked very hard with JP on, on getting to the state that he's in today, where we really think he's, he's one of the best defensive shortstops in the big leagues. And uh, I, we get to see it night in and night out. He has the spectacular play in his game. Uh, he's become very consistent. And the thing we're most excited about right now, and we actually were just talking about it this morning on a, on a team call, is that JP has really taken on a leadership role, not just uh, on the team, but with the infield. You know, he's, he, is, he is the captain of the infield. And, you know, in, in just his first full season in the big leagues, that's, that's something of a pleasant development. And, you know, JP now over the course of time has has accrued about 660 plate appearances in the big leagues, and you know he's been just right in the neighborhood of an average offensive player in in this league, with exceptional defense. And and if you couple those skills, just having turned 25 years old, and we have you know the, we feel like the world's his oyster. If if this is the offensive player that he has a chance to be, and he's always had the good swing and the good swing decisions. 
then why wouldn't we have uh, as much excitement about JP as any other player on the team? He's been great for these first 10 days. Yeah, you look at the numbers. I mean, according to Fangraphs, he's the best shortstop in baseball, according to defensive runs saved. And that double play he was involved in the other night, I don't know if we're going to see a better play this season. That was spectacular all the way around. You know, I was sitting socially distanced out in the stands <laughs> away from uh, w- with Andy McKay and, and my associate, Justin Hollander, who I'm now forever going to call my associate. <laughs> 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 and, uh, you know, I, I, I said when, when they made that play, and, and kudos to Shed as well, because Shed takes a lot of heat for, for you know, what is a, a growing, uh, I guess, defensive skill set. He made an awesome play, and they turned that into one of the, the really the best double plays I've ever seen two guys turn in the middle of the infield and finished off with a pick on the other end by Evan yeah. that you just don't ever see. And uh, They do. They're athletic. They're fun. They're, they're not afraid to show off the skills and, and take a shot at the, you know, the, 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 the golden glove play that a lot of guys don't really let it hang out. They're letting it hang out, and I, I think that's – Part of the fun of this team is that they play with kind of a youthful fearlessness that's that's fun to watch. You brought up Evan, and I, I would like to talk about your young first baseman, but I hadn't thought of this, but you just referenced watching the game from someplace other than your usual hmm. suites here at the ballpark. Uh, when the team is home, are you venturing out into the stands and sitting next to some cardboard cutouts to watch the game, it sounds like? Yeah, because cardboard cutouts don't boo you. you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I have. Uh, you know, We've been sitting outside and, and watching the games. It, it's been gorgeous nights. and. And I don't usually get that perspective. You know, most of the last 10 years of my baseball life, the perspective that I'm getting is, is overhead. And, you know, to be able to get down there and, and see sitting behind the, the, I guess, up and behind home plate or even just moving around to angles on the field gives you such a, a delightful perspective, first on the stadium and, and how cool it is, but uh, also just to see the game through those the eyes that I've used all my baseball life, and, and I don't want to get too disconnected from them. But it's been, that's been a real, uh, I guess, treat that I don't imagine is going to be a long-term one. Yeah, hopefully not. Uh, we'll keep our eyes out for you, though. We'll see if you're uh, down below. Hey, uh, Evan has, you know, I think Gary, Jerry, Gary and Jerry, which one is – are you both there? We're, both, we're, we're okay. here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I left. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Jerry, I remember one time you and I were talking about Evan White, and it might have been off the air. I think it must have been. And this was early into his pro career, and you said to me, he's the best first baseman you've ever seen. And I was like, oh, that's great. Uh, really? <laughs> 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 and – uh, then we just kind of heard the legend continue to grow over the course of his minor league career, and we saw him a little bit in Arizona, and now we've had a chance to see him on the biggest stage possible. And I get it. Like, if there was any doubt, we get it. Uh, how much joy have you had watching him pick it at first base? You mentioned him finishing that double play the other night. I mean, it's been remarkable, the athleticism and just the sheer, man, this guy belongs. It really is. It's incredible. And I know sometimes, it, yeah, I, I, I'm a positive person and I, and I tend to get, you know, very uh, lively when I'm talking about our players, especially our young players and, and what they're capable of. But, you know, in, in Evan's case, you know, dropping something like that, the best first baseman I've ever seen, I, I genuinely mean that. <laughs> he, is, he is athletic. He, has, he does things around the bag at first base that you just don't see guys do. Uh, I feel like his wingspan and the, the side-to-side coverage 
is just different than you, even with great first basemen. You know, guys like Keith Hernandez, uh, who, who I was a big fan of as a as a Met fan in the in the '80s, and and watching guys like J.T. Snow or John Olerud, who were contemporaries of mine, and that were just phenomenal defensive players. Having played four years with Todd Helton, who I thought was fantastic, you know, playing against Mark Grace my entire career, who was really good at first base. I, there's there are things that Evan does. The combination of athleticism, coverage, range, throwing accuracy, throwing arm strength, you know, and the first step quickness. In addition to the fact that I, I, I think what you see now, his reaction time at first base and his ability to lift off the ground are really remarkable for a first baseman. You just don't really see that in in this game, and you know it's an athleticism that's more closely associated with shortstops and center fielders. And we just have the great benefit of the fact that he's he's our first baseman. Yeah, I'm curious. I asked Mike Blowers about this the other day too, and he seemed to think it definitely has an impact. But you know, we measure everything, right? But there's some things in baseball that I think are really hard to measure. I'm curious to get your thoughts. When you have an elite first baseman, how much can that help the rest of the infield? Maybe in just a psychological way. Well, I think in some way, without without really bagging on the, a lot of the players that we've had through the years, because there's they did other things well. You know, Ev, what Evan has done, even in these ten days, shows up on plays. You know, like the double play that they turned the other night. Mm. That most, I, I would say, ninety nine percent of the time, that ball's rattling in the seats or in the dugout, mm. and it's an extra base rather than a double play. And you know, we, that's more like what we've seen. And then that's a dramatic example, but that's been happening for 10 games. And, you know, I, I, again, a conversation with Andy, you know, he said to me the other day, and, and also a huge fan of Evans, and he said, have you ever watched a, a baseball game night after night where the first baseman does something to change the, the, the face of it? defensively night after night and I, and I said no I can't remember that happening and you know maybe Keith Hernandez in his heyday because he was really that good and and uh, but I can't really remember it and Evan has done something in every one of our games to really separate himself defensively and it's uh it's it's noticeable and I think it helps JP it helps Kyle the we've we've actually had some bang bang plays at first base that by sheer virtue of his ability to stretch just get out and go get the ball We've, we've, we've probably registered two, three extra outs on infield ground balls that would not have been outs as recently as last year or the year before. I, I think we all knew regarding Evan offensively making the jump from double A to the majors that there would be a curve involved. He's on a nightly basis. He's facing like the best pitcher he's ever faced in his life. I mean, it, it kind of, and it began on opening night with Justin Verlander. Uh, what is it that you and Scott and the coaching staff are seeing in the way he's going about his at-bats, even if the result isn't there, what the process is looking like? Well, I, I think my favorite thing is that he's keeping his head up. You know, it's a, he's not letting it get him down. He's definitely not letting it affect him on the defensive end. And we knew there would be a learning curve and that he would have up and downs. And he's going to get hot and, and then he's going to get cold again. But what we are seeing is we are seeing good pitch selection. He's taken his walks. And when he's getting, you know, it seemed like for about three or four games there, you blink and he was down 0-2 or 1-2 in a count. And, you know, it's I, the thing I watched yesterday's game. Uh, and uh, it was the day before with, uh, with Joaquin Soria. He immediately got down in the count 0-2 in a pretty critical situation as the game is unfolding and hangs in the balance. I believe it was still tied at the time. And, you know, Evan's a, a 
big at bat with runners on base and he's down 0-2 and he battled and battled and worked his way back against a veteran pitcher with excellent command and he worked a walk out of it and you know while you know the the idea with young players is that in those moments when you're down 0-2 and you've got a guy who's pitched in 750 major league games standing out on the bump it's really easy to let it speed up on you, like others did in that particular inning, actually. But Evan was able to, even in that moment where he was sitting on a couple of strikeouts in the game, he slowed it down and he allowed his skill set just to take over. And you know, it's, it's little moments like that, that that lead you to believe that once he turns the corner, and he will, it's all going to be just as we expect. He still hits the ball incredibly hard. Um, even coming into this homestand, I think he was leading our team in average exit velocity, which playing on the same team right now with Kyle Lewis is a pretty notable thing to be. And uh, it's he hits the ball hard. I think we saw that with his homer in Houston. We saw it with the laser he hit off the left field wall here earlier in the A's series. And and we'll see it periodically. He has he has the skills to be a really good offensive player, and and we believe that he will ultimately grow into that. And you know his complete game will stand out as a first baseman because it just doesn't happen a lot in this league. Jerry, I hope you know you should know I should say because I'm I think I'm telling you this for the first time that he has Gary knows about this by now I believe that he's inspired new baseball vernacular for me. So I've always been a big. Like uh, he's first off the bus guy, he's second off the bus guy. Okay, uh, he's that has now. I've pivoted to now. He's a billboard guy. You got a couple of billboard guys out there, Jerry. Oh, there's some of them. Yeah, mm-hmm. and yeah. and he, you know, when you look at Evan, get him in the uni, put him out there at first base in the sun. You know, he doesn't look like he was playing in Double A last year, Jerry. He's a billboard guy, so you you can feel free to use that in your baseball ops meetings if you want to. <laughs> You know, I haven't TM'd it yet, so if you want to, you know, if you want to use this as, like, Jerry Vernacular, that's cool. Because it, it's fine. You do a lot for us. I want to do something for you. So feel free to, to spread that good word around. And you can maybe use that in scattering reports or whatever, whatever, but billboard guy. Oh, I will throw it around there. I, I, I will say that, that between Evan and Kyle especially, uh, just – that's the way players look. You know, like they're, they're, <laughs> they are, I mean, they're, they, they, have, they have an immediate, like, like a, a gravitas about the way they carry themselves. They look great in a uniform. They're super athletic players. And you guys know because you've had a chance to, to get to know them a little bit here in the early going, they're incredible people. And, right. mm-hmm. you know, I, I, once you spend any time around them, just a wonderful human beings, they have the they care about their teammates, they care uh, about their community. And I, there's in addition to looking, I, they, they could be uniform models or all stars, <laughs> but they, yeah, they, they do look great. Yeah, there was a great anecdote uh, from uh, Blowers when when. Let's see, when Kyle Lewis came to the ballpark after he was drafted, your first first-round draft pick when you came to Seattle, and Blow was down on the field. He watched Kyle bat. He comes back into the booth, and he looks at him, and he goes, yeah, yeah, I get it. <laughs> He's like, yeah, he, he looks like a first-round pick. I mean, like, what can you tell from a guy taking BP, right? I mean, like, a lot of guys could hit a, a bunch of long home runs in BP, uh, but just the overall eye test, uh, Blowers was sold right away, so – yeah, it a billboard guy. We get it. I, I'm, I'm going with it from, yeah. from now on. They will be our billboard guys. 
your rotation has uh, kind of been two different bodies uh, so far this season. First time around was a rough go, and I think you could point at a lot of different things for that, whether it be uh, the shortened ramp up, the quality of competition, especially in Houston, uh, whatever it might be. A couple of guys, their first starts off at Tommy John, a couple of young guys. Your second turn through the rotation, Jerry, has been uh, tremendous. What have you made about what we kind of think is one of the the really interesting things about the Mariners this year because you've got six guys, so that's different, and you've got some really interesting stories among your different starters. You know, I think the first time through, like you said, I could make a million excuses, and most of them are valid. The, the, we did have a, a short ramp up. Uh, we did not play a, an out-of-park, so to speak, uh, schedule of games. We did everything in-house, shorter games, we didn't have uh, outings longer than four innings for any of our starters, and, and in some cases they didn't get that far in their inning development. And we did it intentionally that way. We, we wanted to be slower in ramping them up. And, and you know, around the league you are seeing uh, quite a few injuries or even you know, soft tissue issues that, that are holding pitchers down or, or stopping them. We were hopeful that just bringing them along slower, especially in the early going where we had an extended roster that would allow us to, to buffer them, whether it be with long relievers or piggyback starters, whatever we could do. It was all intended to allow these guys to work at a pace that made sense for their health. And and then to see how a six-man rotation uh, allowed us to, to, I guess, increase or maximize their physical attributes. and. And, you know, the first time through, impossible to tell. We, you know, nobody lasted through the, the fifth inning, and we saw some upticks with stuff from guys like Kendall Graveman and Yusei Kikuchi. Uh, we saw roughly everyone struggle to, to maintain the consistency with their command that, that they'd all shown us, either through spring training and summer camp or historically. And, you know, that's, that was unexpected. But the second time through, and, you know, Marco set a tone in Anaheim that, that I thought everyone answered. And, and this group, it's uh, already in such a short time. The, the, and credit to Marco and to Kendall Graveman and to Taiwan Walker, especially for, for pulling the group together. But the, the, this is a really tight unit. They care about each other. They spend a ton of time you know, with each other, talking through strengths and weaknesses and, and creating challenges. And when Marco sounded the bell in Anaheim, this is how we do it. We, we dominate the strike zone and get after the opponent. And uh, I, I thought that really took off. And you know, uh, the Taiwan start here on, on our home opener was among the best starts I've seen Ty make. And you know, the the quality of his secondary pitches was excellent. And, and the way we've managed our pitch counts in the strike zone uh, you know, throughout has been you know, such an improvement. And I can't say enough about how impressed I was with Yusei Kikuchi's you know, start here against Oakland. And, and the physical stuff that he showed in that game, we saw it in Peoria. Uh, we saw it if briefly in, in a flash in the summer camp. You know, we saw physical stuff with little command in Houston. And here against Oakland, we saw it all come together against what I think is a really good right-handed hitting lineup. And, you know, that's Yusei Kikuchi. And, you know, so excited about where he is. And, you know, Pete Woodworth and, and Trent Blank are, 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 have been phenomenal since day one with this group. And I can't say enough organizationally about our, our pitching group. Max Wiener and Brian DeLunis, and, uh, uh, they've all done a really nice job in setting a tone for how we do things here. 
You mentioned a lot of positives about the rotation, and they've turned themselves into quite a cheering section behind the dugout each night, too. Oh, it is true. <laughs> it's like being at a Texas A&M football game or overwatching the Seahawks, you know. It's, uh, you know, they are our 12th man, and, and they, they sit behind the dugout, and they wave the, 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 the terrible towels, and it's, it's awesome. It's pretty collegiate, and that makes it fun. It, they're young. They're energetic, and, you know, they've gotten the, the position players kind of jazzed up in, in, in addition to kind of carrying the tone. It's really hard in a, in a stadium that doesn't have fans. Uh, with the, with the general quiet compared to what we're used to in, in this world, it's it's really hard to create that energy and adrenaline. But you know, credit to our starting pitchers and to our young players. You know, we are we are running, we are playing exciting baseball, especially on the base paths and doing really fun things. And our pitchers are sitting behind the dugout and they are keeping everyone engaged. And, you know, in, in the world of, of social distancing and, and minimally six feet apart it, with with a group in the stands and a group in the dugout and a group on the field, that's I give them a ton of credit for really finding a way to bind it all together. Jerry, since you bring up running, uh, this is. Uh, been, has been fun to watch uh, the guys be so active on the base paths. Of course, uh, stolen bases, as we all know, have not been quite as in vogue in recent years around baseball. Is this something that kind of came about naturally? Was this a plan going into the season? How did all this come about? Well, if you recall, it was the plan in 2016. <laughs> we, just, <laughs> we, we just we couldn't quite figure out how to get our personnel to do it. But the the this has been an evolution and really an evolution that 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 starts with how our roster looks. And you know, I, I I say from a from a philosophical standpoint, or the things that that you know I love most about baseball and that we count as as part of who we want to be you're looking at it we wanted to be young and athletic and disrupt teams on the bases and you know and 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 again not to bag on great players but you know we had different ways of scoring runs you know mm -hmm. 2016 through 18 and and even in 19 and you know it was probably more about a you know a, a walk and a nelly cruz bomb than it was going to be about being disruptive on the bases and and you know we, we have tried to create that dynamic but this is this is truly the most complete athletic team that I've, that I've had as a general manager in this league and and certainly that we've had here in Seattle. They can do a lot of things. We have exciting defenders at a lot of positions. Uh, we're not quite finished and polished, but we have a lot of excite, excitement there. And the fact that we roughly one through nine with one or two exceptions can get on the bases and just disrupt teams, whether it's going first to third or the ability to steal. I, it, the most refreshing part of watching this team play over the, the first 10 games, with the exception of the energy, and, and I've mentioned this to you know, my, my associates, <laughs> um, I, I, is, is our ability up and down the lineup to go from first to third. And you know, we were so station to station for so long that, that it is, it's, it's a revelation when your first baseman can go from first to third and so can your second baseman and your shortstop and all of your outfielders. And you know, we, we've, we, we've been so fortunate to have guys that could hit the ball out of the ballpark through the years. But this brand of baseball is so fun to watch, and it's energizing. And, and I, I love the fact that anybody gets on and anybody could leave. Tim Lopes, Dylan Moore, J.P. Crawford, you, you name it. Shed Long's running the bases great, even Evan White. They, this is what they do, and, and that has been so much fun. Let's uh, switch gears a little bit and talk about the 
Area 51 of the Mariners, and that is Tacoma. Uh, the off-site training part of the Mariners, the rest of your 60-man roster. Uh, we don't get a chance to see what's going on down there. We, we get reports on occasion from different media members who are there. We know that there are a, a lot of guys who are in Tacoma right now uh, playing on a regular basis who are a big part of the Mariners' future. Can you give us first some broad strokes as to how that's going? Sure. I didn't know it was Area 51. I'm, I'm in on that. <laughs> um, I'll let Ichiro know. It, uh, <laughs> and uh, the, the, the we have a couple of billboarders down there as well. Um, and I guess the the most notable and, and maybe obviously the, the one who is uh, jumps out on social media on a pretty regular basis is, is Jared Kelnick, who has been awesome. Uh, it really, from, from the start of summer camp to today, and it's uh he's swinging the bat incredibly well uh in the summer camp we've played three games he's uh, he's already got three home runs he in addition to multiple doubles and a triple it's a uh, it is damaged most of the time he's swinging a bat and it's uh, the the energy level in Tacoma I was down there for the first two of their games the, the energy level in Tacoma right now is is very high and you know it's a young group we've got really talented young pitching that, that some of whom are just now starting to hit the field uh, George Kirby who's scheduled to make his first outing I think in three day, two days uh, Emerson Hancock who will make his professional debut in the, the quiet uh, I guess uh, the, the quiet of Area 51, <laughs> and actually he and George will, will tip off against each other next week. Uh, Logan Gilbert starts later this week again. He has been awesome. I don't, I don't think Logan, and this is the, the, hopefully I can say this at the end of the calendar year, Logan Gilbert has not given up a run in 2020. Uh, through spring training in Peoria, through the summer camp here in Seattle, through you know his, his time down in, in Tacoma, it's he's uh, he's he's still working on on a, a perfecto. It's it's pretty phenomenal, and it's happening in two and four inning increments. But he has been you know just as advertised. It's it is polish. It is stuff. It is it is really deceptive, and has we see an uptick in velocity with Logan. And we've got a group of players down there that we're incredibly excited about. And, you know, and I could go on and on. The, the, the billboarders, guys like Kelnick, Noelve Marte. Uh, we don't yet have Julio Rodriguez, but he's among the most talented players in, in the minor leagues, period, re- regardless of whether he's a Mariner or not. So it's just been really fun to watch. Things have been so different, obviously, given the circumstances. No minor league season, summer camp. Is there anything that you've done? Uh, you've had to adjust on the fly so much. Is there anything that you've done that has really worked that you'd like to take and do something the organization will move forward with? You know, we start during the, the shutdown, we started, we have, you know, we, we work through Microsoft Teams and, and we do group calls. And, and one of the things that, that became very clear with the group calls is that once you get through the social awkwardness of not sitting in the same room together, the, the, the quality of, of contact, when you have the ability to look at, at 12 teammates on the screen and, and talk through a project and, and, and share a screen from a computer and walk through data and detail, our conversations have been more productive than they've ever been. And, you know, we, we've, like, at some point we will adjust back to live conversation, but that has been something that we're going to grow forward with a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that we have have really kind of 
I guess one of the things we've really embraced is the idea of trying to create a vehicle like that for our young players and coaches as well and and use it as an educational space where, where they can pop on and you know we've actually we're working on creating an, an in-house network we're calling it Mariners EDU uh, to, to help educate on anything from you know how to interpret data to to different social or or I guess civic minded plans and and, and educational spaces and, and and drive it all through our own vehicle and and it's been that's been rewarding although you know a slow slog and I'm sure it's not going to develop immediately something we're really excited about Jerry we are going to get to some fan questions uh, today we're also going to get to stump JD which is epic I mean <laughs> 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 uh, but I also I, I have to ask something a little off the rails uh, you know for for home games which you are here for on a regular basis, obviously. I guess there there is food here. You order it in advance. Gary and I have have brought our own food in for dinner. You know, nor, uh, under obviously during a normal season, we would eat here at the ballpark. Are you is like a Casa de Poto bringing you know freshly prepared baguettes and cheese platters to the ballpark with you know slow braised meats, or are you doing the in-house service? What's what's the food plan for home games, Jer? So. It's still evolving is the answer to the question. And, uh, you know, because it, it, there's so few of us here to this point on the, the opening homestand, just to try to get familiar with how it's all working, uh, we're, we're feeding off of uh, center plate. You know, Megan Murray, and it, they do a fantastic job. And uh, our players have been tickled. We, we just go, go down and grab a to-go bag. So to sp- it's just grab a bag of food, and, and we go to a, a, a place where we can – sit you know again socially distant sit and, and have a discussion while we eat and and uh the food's been great it's a i would i would love to to graduate to the day where we can socially again eat uh, outside of you know paper bag or, or plastic utensils but we're not there yet and we're we're making do with with the situation such as it is but we we eat like kings and you know and i could can't thank center plate and megan enough for all that they do for us uh, Gary, his answer is better than ours. <laughs> yeah, his answer is much better than ours. Because I look at my brown paper sack next to me with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right, that's fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, you just let us know when you start bringing in some spreads of your own that you know you want to have <laughs> s- plate six feet apart up in the broadcast wing, or, or maybe in your suite up here, whatever it might be. We can come down. We can come down to you in the cardboard cutouts, Jerry. Whatever. We're very flexible. It is inevitable. It's inevitable that there there will be some kind of uh, of of bring in. You know, we will we'll bring in a meal and maybe we'll lay out a spread, you know, down on the concourse for everybody to grab. The uh, stump JD question today, Jerry. I, I I can take very little credit for. Uh, it was researched by stats, like, so this is definitely officially oh, yeah. official. Yeah, this is the real deal. We had a, a viewer uh, of our telecast the other day uh, tweet us using the hashtag AskRoot. She was uh, very intrigued by the Kyles uh, following one another in the batting order. And her question was, and I was really, and I said this on the air, I was ashamed that I didn't think of such a incredibly nonsensical question myself (laughs) if she's listening please know that this is a great compliment when i call it that she wanted to know the most players in a lineup with the same first name in baseball history wow isn't that great that's a phenomenal yeah i I was blown away so uh we were given a chance mike and i were given a chance on the air to think this over so 
I will give you – there's multiple ways you can get this right. The easiest one is, I guess, how many of the same names do you think there was for the record-setting lineup? Then secondarily, what is the fairly generic name that was in this lineup multiple times over? And then if you want to get really deep in the weeds, let's, let's talk team, let's talk year. Uh, so what do you think? The most players in a major league lineup with the same first name name that is indeed obscure (laughs) 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 i'm gonna say it has to be something like a a, you know an old-timey team with a tom or a bill or a john uh, as the the name am i on the right i mean yeah uh, you're yes uh when i you're thinking is is sound yeah i mean i guess tim lopes was batting when this question was raised so i said tim uh, (laughs) because that seemed like old-timey enough uh but yeah it is that the year would you like the year would that be helpful for you to be hugely helpful okay as you might imagine yeah this was the summer of 1963 summer of 63 not Ah. to be confused with the brian adams song the great canadian crooner the summer of 63 hmm do you want to start with how many of the names you think there were there's I'm going to say on the high end, can we be talking about three? Jerry, come on, come on man. I Out of nine hitters? <laughs> you got to bring it to stump JD. Jerry, this is that's weak sauce, man. Three? Is it four? Jerry. <laughs> Jerry, there were five of the same name. Get uh. at it. That's phenomenal. And then I, mean, I guess four, <laughs> but I, I, I thought four was a good number, and, of course, Blow copied me. Uh, but five is the right number. Ninth, August of 1963, it was the Washington Senators. Oh, and in the name, can I can I guess the name yes. now that I know the team? Yeah. The name, could it have been the Washington Senators of 1963? One of these people, one of these players is a, uh, sadly has since passed, but was a very, very famous baseball man, was in the game. I'm going to say for over 50 years could it have been the 63 senators and the name was don yes jerry nice all right great work yes well you had to lead me to the water and then stuff my head in (laughs) 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 nonetheless there were five dons highlighted by third baseman don zimmer that is unbelievable yeah that that's uh, well i i it's going to be burned on my brain. I will forever remember that one now. I was pretty sure it wasn't Hunnis or Vita. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I feel like I shortchanged uh, the great Don Zimmer, by the way. I, I actually, believe it or not, have Don Zimmer notes on my computer from many years back. 52 consecutive seasons in uniform. Uh, only Renee Latchman had more. And he was in baseball for 66 years. Uh, incredible. I love those types of careers. And, you know, guys like Jimmy Reese back in the day, people who just transcend multiple different eras of baseball. And uh, I've loved every interaction, whether it be throughout my baseball life with Don Zimmer or guys like that, where you could just sit down and talk. Uh, You know, that was a a big thing in San Francisco. So many of the old-time 40s and 50s players, you know, when, when I was active in the 90s, that for whatever reason, they, they lived in and around the Bay Area. And when, when you'd go in to play the Giants at, at Old Candlestick, there was just a, a folding card table in the middle of the, the ballpark and a 
inevitably during the course of a homestand, one or two longtime major league players or personalities would just come in and sit at, at a table and just talk. And, uh, and it was, you'd get three or four active players just sit around the table and it turned into a, you know, a talk soup jam session. It was awesome. That's very cool. Yeah. Uh, you, you'll also like this because this uh, scratches an itch for you and for me. Uh, Zimmer was the inaugural third baseman for the expansion Mets in 1962. That, that that I did know. The, the, uh, I, I could have given you the, the Don Zimmer. I, I, I probably can't touch on every one of his 52 years, but the, you know, obviously the Mets were uh, were a bit of a thing in my in my childhood. So well, that's, I had some. Let's I was not, tuned in. Let's not bury the lead here. That day they played against Stan the Man and the Redbirds, and Stan went three for three. Jerry, so look, Off it's of a Jay it's, Hook, I believe. It, oh, really? Okay. Sam Usual yeah. made its. Hey, Stan Musial, I don't know if I've <laughs> ever dropped this one on you, but Stan Musial on, on Sundays you know, th- through my time in the, in the National League back in the day as a player, uh, on Sundays Stan Musial would come in for the visiting team and play his harmonica on Sunday mornings. Just sit at a table in, in the clubhouse in St. Louis <laughs> and just play his harmonica. And it was the coolest thing. What a wonderfully nice man. Uh, that's a the the world is short. No longer having him here with us, but he was awesome. And uh, and I thought that was just the coolest thing. He'd roll in with his polyester leisure pants and just start oh, humming on the harmonica. That is the best. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> that's so great. I wish you could see my face. Right I now. know. Hey, Jerry, oh. how long have we been doing I this, know. man? Come on. <laughs> I oh, mean, sorry like, about that. Am yeah. I going to start bringing out? Yeah, you know, Tom Seaver and I one time. <laughs> <went down. laughs> that's incredible. Wow, that's a great story. Uh, all right, that was an amazing stump, JD, that I think we all went on. Uh, because the, the best ones are the ones you really have no chance at, but you still, <laughs> you, still, you still somehow kind of got that. All right, let's move on to some listener questions that we got today, Jerry. And uh, this first one... I, I thought it was really interesting. I had not thought of it. Uh, at Sam Demko is curious, if heaven forbid, Jerry, uh, this baseball season has to be shortened prematurely because of COVID reasons, would the Mariners uh, either be allowed to or uh, do on their own, if given permission, some type of uh, camp like summer camp to finish out what would be that time if in Tacoma or elsewhere, or is would all under, under your impressions would all baseball activities be completely prohibited? Under my impressions, it would be the latter: is that all baseball activities would be prohibited? Um, right now, we are limited to what's happening here in Seattle, and then what's happening in Area 51. Uh, in addition to the, having coaches and players, you know, who minor league coaches, minor league players who live in a specific zip code, you know, if they are. Uh, if they are neighbors, so to speak, uh, we can have the the player just run over and spend you know a bullpen session with a coach, but we can't meet as groups. It has to be one-offs, and we can't you know knowingly create uh, large groups to work out. So we're very limited. We can't play games in, in that scenario. Uh, we're still fingers crossed that we're going to be able to manage this 60-game schedule, and then and then hope that we're able to really we're able to hope. I guess flatten the the curve with this pandemic to the point that that we don't have to endure any of this in 2021. It's a it's it's sad for for the the world, but it's a it's definitely been a challenge for for us as a baseball team as well. All that makes sense. Good to know. Hey, uh, Andrew from Ellensburg has a, a glass half full question. Uh, Jerry, he wants to know what's been a silver lining for the ball club during these unprecedented times. 
There's a first. I am a glass half full type of guy. That's the only kind I drink. <laughs> um, there's well, I guess it matters what's in it. But the, uh, <laughs> you know, the the thing that I am, I guess, most excited about, or that has created uh, the most excitement for our group through these unprecedented times, is is the the fact that we have so many good young players that are such wonderful people. And when we started dealing with a complex set of protocols that were you know orchestrated by MLB and the Players Association and you know, we we got a lot of 20 somethings that that have been incredible listeners, incredible teammates, leaders in their own space and and in their environment and I've never been more uh, convinced that what we are doing in the group of people that we're doing it with is it we, this is working. You know, our the rebuild, reimagine, restructure, it is working and and that has been obvious to everybody who's watching through this time and, and something I think we're all enjoying. Oh, absolutely. Well, Jerry, uh, this has been great to get back and do this again. I know, uh, Gary, we have uh, a couple of these that are, will be lined up for telecast on a route down the road, but our next podcast will be on August the 10th. Is that correct? That's the schedule, yeah. All right, very nice. Uh, Jerry, man, as always, great to visit with you. Thanks for the time. We always learn a ton, so thank you for hanging out with us. All right, guys, I'll look forward to the next one.